There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to episode 71 of the Digital Freemason Podcast for the week of December 10th, 2007. I'm your host, Scott, and I'll be taking you along my excellent adventures through the world of short Masonic educational papers. This paper and all others are available up on the website, www.thedigitalfreemason.com. I encourage you to swing by and check it out. As well as, uh, if you have a Facebook account, I've set up a The Digital Freemason group within Facebook, so if you'd like to join that, that'd be great. One of the things that I put up there was uh, suggestions as to what you guys are looking for for, uh, for the Digital Freemason website. So if you have any ideas, swing by there, leave your comments on the Facebook group, or email me at podcast at the digitalfreemason.com, or leave some comments in the guest book. So as we're getting closer to Christmas, and uh, I mentioned that uh, things were looking pretty hairy for a time for me, I've uh, started to grab some shorter pieces here that I hope will sort of keep the ball rolling, but still bring in all sorts of yeah, educational experiences as we go along. So this is a fairly short one, which is by uh, wishful brother Bill Douglas, and it's called Why Do Deacons Carry Wands? And I know that uh, wands played an important role for the deacons and well, also for the stewards as well. But I know I've sitting there on the sidelines, I've often wondered why. So let's hear uh, Wishful Brother Douglas's thoughts on that. Well, we know that we use them to form an arch over a visiting dignitary when escorting them into lodge. But what other uses are there? It is suggested at one practice that the wands be left behind when conducting a candidate as they just get in the way. And as I am the director of ceremony, very foolishly I was inclined to agree. But everything in Masonic ritual has a reason, or a hidden meaning, that we, ca- we have to root out so that we-, we can understand why we do what we do. On the south coast of England, in the county of Sussex, near the town of Willingington, there was carved into the hillside the figure of a man, with arms outstretched, and in each hand he holds a shara or staff. The figure is 70 meters high, or approximately 120 feet. Nobody knows why it is carved there, but it is known to be several thousand years old. The word shara is the name given to the wooden staff, approximately six feet in length, which was carried by the attendants to the high priests in the ancient times, and was the insignia of their office. The wooden staffs were named after the goddess Asherah, who was the mother of the twins Shashar and Shalom, who were respectively the god of dawn and the god of dusk. That is significant, as as it will become apparent a little later on. The word deacon is a derivation from a Greek word, which in translation means attendant. So two deacons with wands are the equivalent of two attendants with Asherahs. In the Junior Warden's Lecture, it states that a Masonic Lodge is situated due east and west for three reasons. First, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Remember, Shakshar and Shalom are the gods of dawn and dusk, sunrise, sunset. There is a connection here. Second, we put that one aside as it has no significance here. Third, the Tabernacle of Moses and the Temple of Solomon were so situated. 
We'll take the Tabernacle of Moses because he and his followers were always on the move and provides a great example of the use of the Asherah. All holy or sacred buildings at the time were situated due east and west and the Tabernacle of Moses was no ex exception and that Moses and his followers were on the move for forty years. So the tabernacle, which was of course a tent, had to be dismantled and re-erected every time they moved, and, at the rebuilding, it had to again be situated due east and west. So Moses and his two attendants, complete with their asherahs, would go to the chosen site where the tabernacle was to be erected just before dawn, accompanied by a heavy gang who were going to do the erecting. Moses would then choose the spot where the altar was to be, and instruct one of the attendants to place his Asherah in that spot. When the sun rose above the horizon, the rays from the sun would strike the Asherah and send a long, thin shadow towards the west. The other attendant would then place his Asherah at the other end of the shadow, and that would designate the center line of the proposed tabernacle. The heavy gang would then move in and erect the tabernacle with the altar at the east and the entrance at the west. Just as an aside, that is the way that all lodges were set out, with the altar in the east directly in front of the worshipful master. The idea of having the altar in the center of a lodge is a fairly recent one, and I think it is peculiar to North America. However, that's by the way of no importance here. Obviously the magnetic compass had not been invented at that time, so all holy and sacred buildings had to be set out with the aid of two asherahs, and King Solomon's temple was no different. And so the Asherah, being the very first tool or implement to be made use of at the building of a temple, makes them extremely important for the, from a Masonic historical point of view, and as such should be carried at all times as the insignia of the office of the deacons, in particular when conducting candidate. And that, brethren, is why the deacons carry wands. So I like that. I like that. those sort of pieces. I know, I guess it's what, four-ish years I've been in the craft, and uh, there's still a lot of stuff for that I know I need to learn. And sitting around in, in lodge watching things happen, you just sort of, it's very easy to get complacent and just not even question why things happen. And that's one of the great things about Freemasonry, is if you have any inkling in, into delving into history or why things are the way they are, there's so much that's been written and so much that can be investigated about it. And that's This is a classic example of why I even started up the podcast, just to yeah, sort of answer these sort of questions. So there it is, another episode of The Digital Freemason in the can. I've been your host, Scott, and I've enjoyed our short time here together. As I mentioned at the top, if you have any questions or comments, by all means, feel free to email me at podcast at thedigitalfreemason.com and swing by our website. I'm slowly starting to throw a little bit of extra information up there. It's just sort of topical information that I find floating around on the web. And by all means, if uh, one of the things I'd done in the Facebook is I'd said, what are some good educational sites that you like to visit? And I noticed there's been a at least a couple that have been put up there. So always interested in finding out more information for myself as well as providing other avenues of, uh, of education for the brethren out there. So until next time, take care and be sure to keep the shiny side up.